This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineer and PC DJ on the one, twos, and threes, sometime the fours. And I'm in the studio with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie, the loser Cohen. And she looks like a young Drake with her black turtleneck, but it's not really a full (laughs) turtleneck because it only goes down to the bottom of her neck. You used to call me on the cell phone? (laughs) <laughs> late night when you need my love and I know when that hotline bling <laughs> alright guys so thing. I mean when I hear that song the um, hotline hotline bling it makes me like puts me in a good mood makes me want to laugh and dance and call my girlfriend crying with only a tear coming through one eye because that's what Drake would do that's not how I felt do the you not first disrespect time. Drake <laughs> you, mean, you mean Drizzy Drake it is L'chaim. disrespect <laughs> yeah thank you yes 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 that's right because if you start disrespecting Beyonce she's really going to come over there and cut you yeah, yeah. She, she's tried to and the way that Beyonce makes Jackie feel is the way that Kendrick Lamar, and in particular the song we just played, The Black of the Berry, makes me feel. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was on Twitter, and someone goes, oh, snap, Kendrick Lamar got a new track. It's called Untitled. And I thought, that's weird. So I was um, in my apartment, and my roommate was in her room. I was in the living room, and I went on YouTube to listen to it, and I hooked it up to my speakers. And then that song came on, and I remember as soon as it came on, and he started to rap, I'm the biggest hypocrite in 2016 and he was saying I'm African American I'm African and he's saying all these things now I remember sitting there like feeling so charged up like all this like aggressive energy just like kind of like like flowing through my veins and I remember at one point I got so into the song and the the um the chorus hits and I'm like oh I have a white roommate and she came out of the room and she goes oh my god Stanley that song scares the crap out of me <laughs> really why? Yeah. No, like she loved the song, but she's like, that song is like so like raw. And I said to her, I won't say her name on air because I don't know if she wants her business out there. But I was like, yeah, like this is if you could ever find a way to articulate black rage or black anger about everything yeah. that's going on. This song just did it. And when the song came out, it was funny because it was just as things were starting to bubble over in Baltimore in light of the Freddie Gray case. And you saw all these kids fighting with the cops. And I remember every time I would see footage of the Baltimore riots. I would just have that song kind of playing in my head like these kids are not playing games anymore. And it reminded me, it made me go back in time to Freedom Summer when you had all these young black activists and social justice leaders going to Alabama and Mississippi to register people to vote. And then it came a point where once again another black person was killed and a young man came to the front of the stage at the funeral and he said, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. And all of a sudden you had all these young African-American women and men who have been fighting using um, non-violence tactics. They were just tired of being beaten up on. They were tired of being taken advantage of and they started to look for other ways to get engaged. And a lot of people who used to be so pro- um, Martin Luther King, it's not that they weren't pro-Martin Luther King, but they started to pay a little bit more attention to Malcolm X. So when Malcolm X and Bayonne Rustin had that, that amazing debate at Howard University, and Malcolm X is like, listen, I don't want to have to tell my child that one day, one day that, listen, I begged a white man to eat at his restaurant. I'm going to be like, no, here's my restaurant. I made this. Now it's yours. And that's the end of the discussion. And everyone in that room stood up and applauded. And and in full mass, and they were so supportive of that. And it was that kind of mindset. It was that kind of energy. It was a frustration we saw from the people tired of seeing their friends die. The frustration of Kendrick Lamar and that song, The Black of the Berry, that helped to create the organization, the Black Panther Party. You had these young women and men 
who were tired of police brutality in their neighborhoods. They were tired of being poor. They were tired of being killed. They were tired of being hungry. And they said, we have got to change something. And they said, you know what? We've seen people march with Dr. King. We've seen them do sit-ins at these restaurants so they can beg a white man to sit at these tables. We've seen them say, listen, officer, yes, officer, no, officer, okay, officer, and still get shot. And that is not the way to go because we have decided that this system is broken. We've seen them go to the Communist Party and the Socialist Party and see these ideals, and they've seen some white people who are liberals and who are allies support them up until maybe they did something that made them uncomfortable, and all of a sudden they weren't allies. And they said, we had to make a party that empowers us, that protects our community, and that helps us take a stand. And we had to make sure we tell them exactly what we want, because power concedes nothing without a demand. And even after that demand, power may still refuse to give it to you, but if you're willing to go toe-to-toe with the powers that be, you might might be able to get something. And the Black Panthers started in Oakland. And what they do? Huey P. Newton. Um, Bobby Seale. They started out there and they started a movement. What they did at first was just go around the neighborhood with guns. You know why? Because they legally purchased those guns. God bless America. And they walked around with those guns. And they followed cops. And if they saw anything going on, they said, officer, what are you doing? And when the officer tried to get them for carrying those guns, they had an amazing grasp of, the, of U.S. law. And they said, well, actually, this is my right to carry my gun and you can't stop me. So much so that Ronald Reagan, the cowboy, said, you know what? We're going to ban guns. You can't have open carry. It makes no sense. And what did they do? The Black Panthers marched in California with their guns in front of the Capitol building and said, go ahead, try and take my guns. They changed the game. But like many movements, like many powerful movements they were stripped down and attacked by none other than the cia and he and leaders over there tore them down and split them up and there was other things that tore it apart as well but it brings us to today where now all of a sudden we have a new movement and we're asking the question is this the black Panthers happening all over again well maybe maybe not but anyways guys i said all this because we want to have a conversation about the black panthers and the black lives matter movement and black revolutionary movements in general and to help us with that conversation we have an original black panther party member Cyril brother bullwhip ennis jr he joined the black the the black panther party for self-defense in 1968 and worked in the second panther office in queens as the drill instructor he later worked in the black panther party harlem office after the bust of the famous panther 21 so it's going to help us with this conversation i'm very excited to hear what he has to say and just really have like a really good talk around all you amazing people Cyril thank you so much for calling in today yes thank you my young brothers and sisters good morning brother Cyril yes good morning good morning good morning how are you doing well yeah, we definitely cannot complain today, brother. So it was a very beautiful day. So I want to jump right into the conversation. I kind of filled in um, the, the space before we got you on here with a lot of information. But um, I want to get get two things done right now for our listeners. And the first one is, um, why did you join the Black Panther Party in 1968? That's one. And then two, what was happening around you that helped to influence that and others? Okay, when I came <clears throat> into the Harlem, into the... Um Black Panther Party, I was 22 years old, this turned 22. And at that time, there was a lot of things happening in New York City and around the world of the oppression against young black people on my time. And there was the killing of Clifford Glover and so forth, so on. And it became apparent to me that I was getting angry. And as I was getting angry, I realized by myself, I couldn't do anything. So I came to the office in Corona, Queens, where I was raised, where I was raised up at, and it was called the Malcolm X Culture Center. And in it, we had young people, brothers and sisters, and we were 
automatically doing things that was from the culture aspect, from the African-centric aspect. And we were approached at the time from brothers from uh, Jamaica office with about the Black Panther Party. Now, we all heard about the Black Panther Party. We were reading up on it, and we seen the stance that Huey and Bobby took, and they came to us and they asked us, would you all like to be Panthers? After seeing what was happening, it, it was like an automatic collective response from all of us. We said, why not? Why not take the issues? Because we became, like I said, very tired of what was happening in our community and around this nation. So you, I think we can also say there was a bit sense of powerlessness before that happened and because of what was going on. And if you guys are listening, I want to tune in and ask a question. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-690-6903. And um, Brother Bull, we just want to um, just ask again because I know I, I kind of jumped in and plugged the number. But So was there, was there a sense of powerlessness before the Panther Party approached you in regards to everything that was happening? Yes, there was because the police was running amok in our communities. And um, just like today, and, and it's a shame, but just like today, um, they were just brutalizing our people, disrespecting our communities, and there was powerlessness. Now, don't get me wrong. We all were looking at Dr. King because we seen the way he was caught. But we also was listening to Malcolm. And Malcolm was saying, listen, listen, we, we keep turning the other cheek, and you keep taking this other cheek away from us. And, you know, it became to a point that I'm not going to, I myself, and like I know countless others, I'm not turning that cheek no more. If you're going to hit me, then I'm going to hit you back. If you're going to abuse me, then I'm going to stand up for my right and protect myself and protect my community. So it became a force of wanting to protect our community from what was happening. All right. So you guys, that's pretty amazing thank you very much for that but so you guys had like gotten to that point and you said you know what i'm not going to turn the other cheek if you attack me. i'm going to hit you back i'm going to defend myself i'm going to defend my community so what exactly did you guys do in those early stages when you joined the panthers well in the early stages one of the things that i know that you have we have a 10-point platform and program and the 10-point platform and program gives you what we want and what we believe so starting off the 10 program we, we, we stated with, we want freedom, we want the power to determine the destination of our black community. We want full employment for our people. We want to end to the robbery by the white men, of, but we changed that. We said the capitalists of our black community, because you have black folks that also was doing things to us. Later changed to, um, we wanted uh, capitalists of our black and oppressed community. Also, number four, we want decent housing. Um, <clears throat> that that is shelter for human beings. We want education for our people that expose the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present-day society. We want all black men to be exempted at that time from military services. We want immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. We want freedom for black men held in federal, state, county, city prisons and jails. We want all black people when brought to trial to be tried by, in the courts by the jury of peer groups or people from their black communities as defined by the Constitution of the United States. And that- number 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, and justice and peace. And we had a, what we believe behind that, why we gave out these 10-point platform programs. And all Panthers in all Panther office had to know this 
And this is what we went by. Guys, if you are just tuning in, we have on the line with us original Black Panther Party member, Brother Cyril Bullwhip Innes Jr. And we are speaking about the Black Panther Party and what happened, what was going on, what the climate was here in America, in New York City, in L.A. back in the 1960s, particularly in 1968 when uh, Brother Bullwhip joined the Black uh, Panther Party. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, the 10-point plan. As we know, the Black uh, Panther Party, they they also did a number of community programs like we're talking about. They did the breakfast program and they made and they also did they also provided free health care to um, people of color African Americans um, during this time um, I wanted to talk about how that image of like the militant like this scary black man image sort of came into play is this something that the Black Panthers cognizantly wanted to perpetuate when they walked around with the guns and they had all you know they wore all black and you know they had the glasses on and it was sort of like it was very, it was almost, I guess, intimidating for white America or middle stream America. Is this something that you guys did consciously or was this an image that was projected onto you as you were doing these community programs? Oh, okay. Um, with the black uh, beret and the leather jacket, that was part of our uniform that we wore at the time. This is oh, what okay. Bobby and Huey, uh came up with, and so this was our, and and this, if you remember, there was a book, Sky's the Limit, that's why our, our color was a black and sky blue, in, re- in reference to who we are. So the blackness was to show who we are as black people, and sky was the limit of the things that we want and we needed to do in our community in order to take care of what we were all about. So where so, does this notion come from that you guys, where does this notion come from that, um like, all you see recently, um, um, Brother Boy, is like all these folks saying, oh, the Black Panthers want to kill cops. The Black Panthers were violent. Where does this notion come from? Okay, that, was, that came from out of the, the system itself. Remember, we were protecting our community. We did not go out to kill police. The police came in killing us. We did not go out to harass the people. Matter of fact, we enjoy and embrace the people. Our slogan was all power to the people. So all powers, it concluded with your mindset, what you was all about, and what we were doing in our community. This is why you had other groups that sort of like came into what our platform and program was. Because if you take that platform and program, you will see it relates to anybody, any human being who wants decency in their community. Absolutely right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I I have a question, though, for you, uh, Cyril, which is, do you think in some ways, like you said, you guys didn't go out to affirmatively try to hurt or harm any police officers. This was a response to, you know, what was going on in your communities where they were coming in. Do you feel like in some ways that kind of was also, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this, but kind of the da- part of the downfall of the movement is that there was a lot of attention spent by the FBI and the CIA and the central government to try and take down the Panther movement in response to what they saw as brutality against law enforcement, even though in your mind it was not brutality against law enforcement. It was response to brutality against you. Do you think that that also on the flip side was sort of what got the central government's attention and actually held back the movement? Yes, that was part of it. That was part of it. Um, you see, <clears throat> J. Edgar Hoover put out a statement, there will be no black messiah, no rising of anyone taking form to have stand up for black people. 
understand the mindset of this country. Racism is very strong in this country. We have to understand that very well. And, you know, when people are comfortable in their space where they are, they don't see outside of the realm. And we have to look outside the box. Bobby and Huey looked outside of the box and said, you know what? Encompasses what is happening to us. This is happening all around in many different communities. Be you African American, be you Latino American, be you Indigenous American, whatever American you are of your color, this is happening to you. Also, in the white community, the poor Americans, it was happening. Right. So we formed together these coalitions with these various groups. Brother Fred Hampton was very clear in bringing those groups together, too. Mm-hmm. And you knew, you see what happened to him. They violently went and killed this man and, and, his, and our comrade in Chicago because of his bringing these groups together to identify the problems of America and its racist, systemic society. No, he's he's absolutely right, guys. They actually covered that in the documentary on Black Panthers when um, Fred Hampton was connecting with I think it was the Young Patriot group, so younger white group saying, "Listen, I know we might be different in skin color, but we're asking for the same things." But guys, we're gonna go on a quick break. When we get back, we'll start the conversation on the Black Panthers and the Black Lives Matter movement. I would love to hear from Brother Boy what he thinks about the Black Lives Matter movement, and if we are seeing a renaissance of the Black Panther Party. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We'll be right back after this message. on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR The Voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, we are having a great conversation with Brother Cyril Bullwhip Ennis Jr. and he is one of the he's an original member of the Black Panther Party by way of New York. We were having a conversation just talking about the background of the party, how he got involved, what was happening, and now we're going to be switching gears just a little bit. So as you guys know, one of the biggest movements or bigger movements out um, in our time right now is the Black Lives Matter movement. And they're fighting for racial justice, but I think the greater theme of the movement, and I think anyone would agree with it, is they just want to be in a world where people of color, particularly African Americans, Latinos, do not have to worry about getting shot by the police unlawfully. Stop shooting us. It's a very simple premise. And many people have been saying that this is a radical group, mostly because they're afraid of black people and they just don't understand things like common sense. And a lot of people have been saying that they are pushing the conversation in ways that has not been done since actually the Black Panther Party. So I would love to get some feedback from Brother to get his point of view on the Black Panther Party. Um, I heard um, Council, excuse me, Assemblymember Charles Barron talk about Black Lives Matter, and he said, Black Lives Matter is out here talking about don't shoot, hands up. And he said, when I was in the Panther Party, it was hands down, we shoot you, now you can't breathe. So I'd love to get your point of view on this, Brother Bullwhip, if you think that that was accurate on Barron's part or if it's something different. Just share your thoughts. Oh, um, Brother Charles Barron, yes, he, he had his thoughts on, on doing a hands-down shoot. But like I said before, our uh, having the technician of our what we had our weapons for was for our protection of our, our people in our community. And like I said, it wasn't us going out there trying to bring, bring this about. It came to us. It did not. We did not bring it to them. But I want to uh, give a little post to this, as you say, with the young people. And Black Lives Matter. Um, You know, the youngest person of the Black Panther Party was 16 years old when he joined and when he was killed, the first Panther, the little Bobby. 
I look at the young people today, and I'm seeing the ages that they are, what they're going through. And I endorse Black Lives Matter, not because of being a Panther. I endorse it because it started like we did, a youth group, and, they, and, they're, getting, and they're getting tired. I mean, when you look on the news and seeing young people being killed, there's no weapon, and the police is not getting indicted. Nothing is happening. Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, uh, uh, the little young boy over there with the with the little toy gun, the young brother that was in the store. He, I mean, I can understand young people getting frustrated, and I'm glad that they do have a move like Black Lives Matter. Another thing that I like is coalition. And I see that they're starting to have a coalition of other groups join Black Lives Matter, which has to happen. See, this country has to change. It has to change. If it was 50 years ago that we started the Black Panther Party, 50 years ago to this to the to today, October 15th will will make 50 years ago. But we're still here to tell our story. Absolutely. and the story is we can be able to tell it to you, young people, what's happening, and we can be the mentor to y'all. We could tell you the roads that you're going down is right, that way, or wrong. But we're not going to take you off your axis of what you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. If you guys are listening, you want to tune in, give a comment or a question, you can call us at 212-650-6903 or tweet at us on Twitter at BeHerd underscore radio. I think that... Uh, you know, um, Cyril makes a really good point here. He said something before we went to break. He said racism is strong. But what I think is that it's not just that racism is strong now, then, now, still today, is that racism is strong, but it goes beyond just individual thinking, which we are seeing right now with the rise of a very nationalist uh, movement with, you know, Trump running for office. But I don't want to veer into election politics right now. And I just want to say to me, what's more frustrating than anything is the racism that pervades our institutions, uh, specifically the police department. But the bigger picture is the criminal justice system to begin with. And so then you You have a divide amongst people about what to do about it. And there are some people who are saying, you know, let's do X, Y and Z. Let's fight this institutionalized racism from the outside. And then there's another group of people that are saying, let's get people elected, that the only way to change the institutions are from the inside. And that if we really want to fix what's going on, the institutionalized racism within the systems is to have people get elected. So I'm curious, Cyril, what your perspective on that is. Do you think that the Black Lives Matter movement is better off being a movement that works from the outside to get things done? Or do you think that the Black Lives Matter movement should work towards trying to get some of these people elected into office to try and change the institutions from the inside out? It should be both, outside and inside. We, this is what we need to do. We need to infiltrate. Understand what I'm saying. We need to infiltrate. We need to go in. We need to change the politics and the politics of America. We need to do this. And the young people today have the, have the, the power to do this. When I went to the Million Man March for the second time last year with my son, and I mean all you young people out there, I was so proud because I said, y'all have the numbers. All you have to do is bring it together. Y'all really do have the numbers. You need to come against, together and coalition together with what you need to do. You really need to identify, come together. Like I said, we as elders are there to help you. Keep in mind, we have 17 political prisoners from the post-aftermath of the Black Panther Party still locked up. 
And if you looked at them, they, if combining their years together in prison, it's over 800 years. They should be free. Mm. They should be, be free by now. The only reason they're locked out is because they were Panthers. I agree with you 100%. So, Brother Bowen, we do have a caller on the line. We have Chris Thomas, who was a writer for Life's Voice We Heard and also just an all-around amazing person. And he wrote a very great um, post about the Black Panther Party and just giving a bit of a history in the background and, like, you know, what it means to him. And if you guys haven't looked at that, you should check it out. It's on our website, lyvbh.com. Chris, let your voice be heard. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I first wanted to... Thank you, caller. I wanted to thank Brother Bullwhip for everything he did, you know, to so that I can enjoy, I guess, some of the freedoms I have today. I know that doing the research for the piece, I learned a lot of little things, and I learned a, a lot about the counterintelligence program that was run against the Panthers, and I didn't realize, I guess, how deep the well went, so to speak. Um, I just wanted to kind of call in and echo his thoughts and something that Alyssa just brought up a few minutes ago. Um, going back to the Panther movement, when you look at somebody like Fred Hampton, he, his work for the time he was there, it really specialized around coalition building. He brought in Latino street gangs. He brought in kind of white rural groups and found a way to unite all causes under the same thing. They understood that everybody wanted to fight poverty. They understood that everybody wanted to get a chance at an equal education and have that same start, no matter whether you were white, brown, or anything in between. And just that key is really what we need in the future. I feel like, you know, Alyssa asked a few minutes ago, look, uh, you know, should it be something where it has to be a social movement or should it be something where it has to be a political movement? I think we're at a point where we just need to try and all of, I guess, all of the above philosophy. And I'd love to hear some of Brother Bullwhip's thoughts on that. Brother Bullwhip? Yes, sir. I would the young man is very true. And, and what we need to do is do the coalitions. We need to have coalitions. There are progressive groups out there that is willing to do that understand what is happening in this system. Again, I have to and and I must bring to y'all is our political prisoners. These are minded people, like minded people that was locked up. These were your community leaders. These were the people who went and stood up for what they believed in, and they were young. We were all young, like I said before, and we started just like black black men. We were young. My son asked me one day, Pop, but you know, the leadership, and I told him, son, there has to be, you have to have leadership. You have to have stability and leadership and coalition. Yes, leadership is a hell of a position. In some cases, some will die making being leaders. But it has to be done. In order for black lives to matter, one or two things have to happen. First thing, young people, especially young black people, have to stop killing each other. That's number one. They have to stop killing each other and understand each other has the same conditions happening all around the world. Number two, you have to start respecting your elders. I don't know what happened with the, uh, what is happening in this world with the disrespect of the elders. But the elders are your shoulders that you stand on who have the history and the wisdom to help you get through what you're going through. And, and we've been there. So we're here to help you, not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to galvanize you, to help you to move on because the system has to change. Right. Um, Brother Bullwhip, one thing I, I wanted to know, and I actually watched that documentary that came on PBS last week. Um, when it came to the, the Black Panther Party and how it dismantled, we know that the FBI um, and the CIA, they did a lot to try to um, 
destruct destruct the party and it was successful but there was a strong whiff between Huey P. Newton and Eldridge Cleaver who was another leader of the Black Panther Party and I feel like this discord and the fact that they took two different stances um, and, and, and and they took two different stances on what to do. Huey P. Newton wanted to focus a lot on community engagement, while Eldridge Cleaver was a little more militant in his thinking. Um, do you think, what was the ultimate destructive factor between that, that sort of ruined the Black Panther movement? Um, was it just the FBI, or was it, a, was it some internal conflict there? Oh, to answer to your question, there was uh, the FBI mostly writing letters forging names between the two, our two comrades. Uh, Eldridge was working over the international section, which if you look at that, that brought the world into the concept of what was happening here in America, especially with the, with the movements of all the revolutionary people that was over there trying to gain their freedom independence. In the meantime, Huey was still doing his thing here. Now, this, the, the, the COINTELPRO was a very hideous, dangerous, Thing. I mean, they kept stuff happening between party members in many different ways. They created situations. I mean, there's stories. If you there's stories all over that. You know, the documentary scene is one story. There are many stories that I can tell you, young people, that you'll be surprised. And a lot of it had to deal with how the, the Cointel Pro played its part in it to keep the separation and make us break down. But Boab, that's very funny you mentioned that. One of the things that you're starting to see is some fracturing within the Black Lives Matter movement, and maybe not the movement within itself, but all the people who have been fighting for um, racial justice and the end to a criminal justice reform and the end to um, police violence on people of color. So now all of a sudden there's been feuds between um, members of the Black Lives Matter movement and Sean King, who's a reporter who's been very prominent in covering these stories, in particular Mike Brown, which is really how he came to, how he came to fame. Um, DeRay Meganson, all of a sudden they're saying that he is a cell and he's only in this for the money. And you have conservative publications like Breitbart putting out stories that end up causing huge arguments to actually happen on Twitter. Dream Hampton, a pretty known member of Black Lives Matter, arguing with Jonetta and DeRay, who are both in Ferguson um, when everything was going down with the police. And you're starting to see some of the similar fractures happening within these groups that happened with the Black Lives Matter movement. And one of the biggest fractures is a difference in direction. So if you ask some folk in the Black Lives Matter movement what they want to do, it's very simple. Stop killing us. That is all. But then you see other people who are trying to expand into other things. Um, Black Lives Matter and environmental justice. Black Lives Matter when it comes to education. And because of those disagreements, they're having these rifts and these arguments. How, like, and, and I bring this up now because my question to you is, with knowing all this, knowing like that pushback, would you say that maybe the Black Panther Party was just more ambitious than the Black Lives Matter movement? Or is it just that the same forces that came to destroy that movement is not coming out the Black Lives Matter? Same voices that destroy that, that try to destroy that I would say try to destroy us because members of the party are still here. Like I said before, same voices are coming to destroy Black Lives Matter movement, and you have to be aware of where things are coming from, and you have to understand. You like that's why I say again, you have to identify things that you're going to do together, and you have to work it together. People have to sit down and communicate. Don't let somebody else communicate one place and another communicate. If somebody says something or something happens, sit down, bring it together. Hear from yourself. Hear from that person's mouth. Hear from the, the persons that you're working with. Because the system is so 
so foul that they will create situations right there between family members. <laughs> That's so true. You know what? The government one time me looking at Selena Salvez because she owed me five dollars, and then once I realized that the government was lying, I actually owed her twenty dollars. So, <laughs> but um, brother Bo, we do have a caller on the line. He's been very patient, so I want to make sure we get to him right now, brother Omar, who's one of our favorite callers, and I know he has a lot to say. But so, brother Omar, let your voice be heard. Oh, thank you so much, and Brother Bold, and power to the people. I had the privilege of uh, being in uh, the Gambia in 1971 with my daughter and my former spouse, and I met with some Black Panthers who were young brothers. They were building boats. They were building neighborhoods right there in the Gambia, and I was so proud of them, uh, and they, they were uh, uh, loving the brothers here in the States. At the time, if you can remember, in 71, Huey was uh, Huey was in jail and uh, Eldridge was in Algeria. We couldn't get up to see him, but he was in Algeria running a blue jean company and sending monies, from what I understand, from his company to the brothers uh, in, in in the Oakland area. Rap Brown was also under fire, and. Uh, uh, my my, uh, my question to you is this: uh, When uh, when Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden was 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 uh, was supposed to be connected with the uh, Black Panthers out there uh, on the West Coast, uh, first of all. I, I realized that uh, the two brothers put up all of the energy, but that they were supposed to be funding them from what we understood. And second of all, we have a group of brothers, uh, attorney uh, Malik Zulu, who is a graduate of Harvard University. He has a group called the New Black Panther Party. Are you familiar with them? And if so, what is your affiliation with the New Black Panther Party headed by attorney Malik Zulu? Brother Boat, if you can give a quick response to that, because we are running short on time. Sorry about that to both of you gentlemen. Brother Boat? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, Okay, the answer to that question, uh, our policy, what, 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 uh, our 10-point platform, what we're about is the original Black Panther Party is not the same as the uh, new Black Panther Party. They have a different uh, set that they do, which is totally different than ours. Um, I, I met with Brother Malik. I know Brother Malik. Um, there are things that I'm not too happy with. All the original members of the Black Panther Party are happy with what some of the things that they are doing and have done. Um, our reputation of what we do speaks for itself with all the programs that we have instituted that y'all, that everybody knows that the United States has taken over as our food breakfast program, serving the people. So we believe in serving all the people, not just one segment of the people. We felt in serving all the people. Uh, Thank you so much for that, Brother Boer. I'm sorry to wrap you up, but we are running short on time. Could you just, um, just let the listeners know like how they can learn more about the Black Panther Party and if there's an opportunity, how they can meet and speak with you about the issues moving forward? Okay, moving forward, let me give you all, uh, as you know, this is, like I said, our 50th year, and all roads lead to Oakland, California, October 21st to October 23rd. In Oakland, California, it will be called Passing the Torch of Freedom to a New Generation. You can get in touch with us at www.naabpp.org. Again, www.naabpp.org. 
BTP.org, and you can get in touch with anyone through us through the National Alumni Association of the Black Panther Party. Brother Bullwhip, thank you so much for calling in today. Thank you so much for giving us this valuable information and having a conversation with us. And we really appreciate the support that you and others want to give to this next generation of young leaders. Um, Once again, thank you for calling in. So now, guys, I want to open up the floor. This has been a bit of a history lesson, but I hope we've had some conversation in here. And I want to give you guys a second to kind of like give your closing thoughts. So we'll start with Jackie and then we'll go to Ron. Cool. Um, yeah, so I, I was able to watch that PBS documentary called The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. I thought it did a really good job. I definitely had misconceptions about the party that were cleared up watching the documentary, and I proceeded to read more. Um, I think what's so interesting about the party was the 10-point platform. Um, the things that they were calling for, I mean, it was revolutionary, and I guess it still is, but there are things like basic human rights, right? Like access to education, to food to safe housing, to jobs. I mean, this is something that we're seeing now where we are demanding the same access to all these basic human rights. Um, So I think that that was something really special about the party, that they had that platform. I think maybe that's something that moving forward um, in this continued struggle, like you mentioned before, that the the Black Lives Matter movement is sort of fracturing. Um, And to have something that encapsulates all these different parts of the movement, all these different interests um, and needs would be beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, to speak on the fracturing point, I find that almost it's frustrating this split between, you know, within the movement about who's the quote unquote establishment versus who isn't. Um, Because, you know, everybody at the end of the day, and I know people don't always want to hear this, things in this country get done when you figure out a way to work both within and outside of the establishment. I think even our guest hit on that when I asked that question. He said it's not an either or, it's a both. Um, But my final thoughts is I did not see the documentary. It is on my DVR. I do plan on watching it. At the same time, something to mention to Selena is that I feel as though part of the you know, thing that Black Lives Matter should learn or should take away from the Black Party, uh, Black Panther Party, is that the I understand that some of the let's shoot back was a response to you're shooting at us. However, I find that that was part of and I think the guests agreed the downfall of the Black Panther Party, because that he even agreed was a big reason why the federal government started looking into them and stuff like that. He he uh, you're shaking your head at me, but um, I'll wait till it's my turn. All right. Anyways, um, you know, if you look at today's movement, killing police officers is takes credibility away from Black Lives Matter. So I don't think that works. And I think that Black Lives Matter needs to channel a little bit more Malcolm than they do. I'm sorry, a little bit more Martin than they do Malcolm. That's my feelings on it. Um, I know that may be disagreeable to you, um, but trust me, I'll tell you, at least working within the system as a civil rights attorney, um, the shoot back doesn't get you any credibility in the movement. <clears throat> Stanley, I'm just going to give you some time to respond and then do your closing. Oh, you're not going to? Well, you, you too, because you, cause I know you have a lot to say and you wanted to respond to what Alyssa was saying. It's fine. All right, so I'll, I'll do a couple of things then. And I'm going to just wrap in my response to Alyssa in a conclusion. Um, and there's a saying, and I actually get it from The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> the Dark Knight, actually, is you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Unfortunately, that's what has happened to a lot of our civil rights leaders, where they were the heroes, but they stay long enough that now people start to see them as the establishment. So someone who they thought was fighting for their rights and who, who we really supported and loved have become members of the establishment, members who don't really care. That's what has happened to the NAACP, if you ask anyone under 
the age of 50 years old. That's what has happened to Al Sharpton, even though maybe 20 years ago, the whole black community in New York, at the very least, would have been behind his back. That's what has happened to groups like the Urban League. That's what has happened to groups like um, like Najab. Just all these groups have become the villain because they have become part of the establishment. And you know what? During the Civil Rights Movement with SNCC and student action groups like that, they were becoming the villain as well, at least in the circles of black communities and young black activists, which is what created a space for the Black Panther Party. And now we're seeing, once again, these former heroes becoming villains, and it creates a space for the Black Lives Matter movement. One of the amazing things that I really love about the Black Panther Party was that it was just so multifaceted. Yes, they were going into communities, and they were, tell- they were following the cops and saying, hey, if you just do something illegal, we're going to check you. But they were also providing breakfast for children. They also ran people for city council and for the mayor in Oakland, and they registered over 50,000 voters. They had a 10-point plan. They were educated people. They worked to combine other groups, and not just black groups, but also Latino groups and, um, and white patriotic groups, because at the end of the day, the problem was the system. And as long as the system was broken, there'd always be an issue. Did the Black Panther Party fight back at police officers? Absolutely. When their lives were on the line. So when the police bust into um, Fred Hampton's house and then blew about, what, 171 shots into his apartment and only two shots were fired? One was from a panther who was shot in the head when the cops came into the building and his gun went off automatically. And another one from somebody who realized what was happening got one shot off before he was shot in the arm. When things like that are happening, it's becoming very clear that they felt like they were under attack. So then when the police come and do a raid at 6 in the morning at a Panther house with guns ready to shoot and the Panthers defend themselves, why would they not when all that has been happening is that a CIA and an IRS and the police department has been very zealous to break them apart because they see black people with guns and they become scared. And unfortunately, a lot of people remember the Black Panther Party for that, for their response, but they never asked the question of, well, why did they do this? And then now it brings us forward to the future Black Lives Matter movement, who has grown from a resentment of the old guard, which they feel has become the villain now. And they're finding their own ways to fight for black rights and for racial rights. And they're saying, listen, we're not going to necessarily listen to you. We're going to blast Lil Boozy while we march, and we're going to say, F the police, and we don't care. And the media, and the IRS, and the CIA. And I can tell you that because I'm being followed on Twitter and on Facebook by people from the NYPD, and I'm getting strange calls from people once in a while telling me, hey, when are you going to another march? And I see cop cars, which all of a sudden are parked in front of my building. Well, not since I moved, but recently. (laughs) And I'm not even 100% into the Kool-Aid like that. And I've seen these things happening. So when you start to see these same things happening, and in this movement by a lot is way more toned down than than the Black Panther Party, it makes you wonder, what is the problem? Who is to blame? The establishment, the police, the government, or a group of young kids who are saying, stop shooting us? Black Lives Matter, there has been no conversation about Let's shoot back the police. It's been stop shooting us. Stop killing us. Why don't you really talk about the, the plight of black people? What are you going to do about it? And if somebody like Alyssa, who like is in the movement and who is educated and understands the issue, can still believe that there's conversations of shooting people, there is very clearly a serious problem of an irrational fear of black people. And there's very clearly a serious problem in this government and people of color still not getting the things that they need. And if the Black Lives Matter movement learns anything from the Black Panther Party, it should be two things. One, don't let the establishment destroy you. And two, you must be a multifaceted movement to win. Don't worry about them saying that you're going to shoot cops because that was never the problem. Keep pushing for what you're pushing for. Keep fighting for the good fight and make sure you always expand. And for those of you listening, if you learn nothing else, you should know that the Black Panther Party, they are, and the members 
soldiers there were American heroes, and we should be celebrating them. So that, guys, is my little moment at the pulpit. Wasn't too coherent, but hopefully filled with a lot of information. And we will say that we'll be right back after this quick break. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Oh, 